Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Uh, talking about the, the Passion Week, the, the events leading up to the death and the, the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm actually incredibly excited uh, about what I feel that God ha- has uh, put on my heart to, to share with you guys. So if you'll just join me just to, to pray uh, with me for a second that I can communicate uh, what, what God has, uh, I, I think that God has, has shown me. So, Father God, we love you. God, and I just pray that you would just help me to, to communicate your truth this morning. Lord God, that you would help me to, to get out of the way and just to point towards your goodness, towards your glory, towards your faithfulness. God, you are so amazing, and we just celebrate what you did uh, in your earthly ministry. In this, and today and through this series, as we celebrate the, the end of your earthly ministry, God, going to the cross and enduring that, for each one of us. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. And so, to start out, I just want to say that there's something so powerful about stories where somebody is willing to lay their life down for somebody else. You know, and this this, uh, this thing happens so often that it's actually called a, a trope in media called The Heroic Sacrifice. And I went on to tvtropes.com, um, which is a great website, and, and I, I looked up this heroic uh, sacrifice trope, and it has been used hundreds, probably thousands and thousands of times in books and movies and in TV shows and other stories and magazines. All right? And to just to name a few, we've seen it in the movie Frozen. All right? We see it in Big Hero 6. Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3, How to Train Your Dragon, It's a Wonderful Life, that one's black and white, uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy, was a good one, Independence Day, good news, they're coming out with Independence Day 2, um, the Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, Heroic Sacrifice, of course Star Wars, of course Return of the Jedi, The Terminator, and remember, in The Lord of the Rings, you shall not pass when, uh, what's his name, Gandalf stands up to the Balrog, I believe is what that was. Anyway, Armageddon, that was a good one. Uh, Captain America, Heroic Sacrifice, Stranger Than Fiction, one of my favorite movies, and Titanic, and on and on and on it goes. This trope is used over and over again. And in the movie uh, The Hunger Games, there's a, a, a young girl is, is chosen uh, to participate in uh, what the movie is called, The Hunger Games, and it means almost, I mean, practically guaranteed death in, the, in this fight, in this, this death sport that um, the, uh, the evil capital holds every year, and they, they have a lottery, and once your name is picked, you are you have to go and there's no choice and so we're just going to watch a very very short clip if my thing will work here about the heroic sacrifice tomorrow we're getting new no 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 not this don't watch this i don't know what this is this has never happened before oh Rumors 
All right, sorry about that. Her, her name was just drawn in the lottery. So, man, honestly, that clip, I've watched it a, a couple times, uh, just trying to get it to work. And, uh, man, it just, it, it, it almost brings a tear to my eye every single time I watch it. And I've seen this trope in, in movies a million times, right? And it still gets me. You know, there's something about watching somebody who cares so much about someone else that they are willing to, to die to save them or to protect them. And I think for, in one sense it's so poignant for me because it is so far from where I'm at in my day-to-day life. You know, I see the, the nobility uh, of, of the character of these heroic sacrifices, but so often I don't even want to drive my kids to youth group because it's going to eat at my time, right? Or I don't want to volunteer for this or that because I've got my own stuff that I want to do. And so often in, in, in my life, I find that I am grasping for my own rights. I'm grasping for my own power, for my own way, for my own comfort. And to see actual sacrifice cuts me to the heart. And you see, this is at the heart of our gospel. In Romans, Paul says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. And and we're going to look at this more in a little bit. And there's another Bible verse that doesn't say, oh, that we were sinners, but it says that we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies, and yet he still chooses to lay his life down to do this heroic sacrifice for you and for me. And it says that very rarely will will somebody uh, lay their life down for a righteous person, but we've seen uh, this news story that I'm sure all of us have heard about, Uh, and this is Tiana Carruthers. Uh, She was at a playground late Saturday afternoon at her Richland Township apartment complex with her young daughter, a niece, and three other other children when a man pulled up to the curb 
in a silver-colored SUV and motioned for her to come over. When Carruthers, 25, approached the man, later identified as alleged Kalamazoo shooter, Jason Dalton, he mumbled, asked if she knew a woman by a certain name, then calmly pulled a gun from his coat and shot her once near her shoulder. Carruthers' grandmother, Phoenix Windwalker, told the Free Press in an interview Tuesday morning, Carruthers turned, screamed for the children to run, and blocked them from the gunman with her own body. She was shot at least two more times in the hip and the leg area. I don't cry every time I read this. Uh, before the gunman sped off, Windwalker said. Police said they recovered ten spent shells at the scene. She used her own body as a shield to protect the children on the playground. And it's amazing that she would do that. Right? And the good news is she is one of two survivors of the, uh, of the shooting, and sounds like she is improving. Um, she's out of the hospital, so it is good. And as amazing and great as Tiana's sacrifice was, it is but a glimpse of the greatness and the glory of Jesus' sacrifice of Jesus' love and his compassion for you and for me and for all of humanity. And his sacrifice and his compassion while we were his enemies, shaking our fist in opposition to him. He laid his life down and he faithfully endured the fear and the pain and the shame and the horrors of the cross. And today we're going to pick up right where Bill left off last weekend, right after the Lord's Supper. And the big idea today, the big takeaway from today is Jesus' unwavering love, his endurance to run the race that was marked out before him, to endure the cross, to endure the wrath of God for you and for me in his unwavering persistence, in, the, in his faithfulness, in the, in the face of sleeping disciples, and disciples and others who have disowned him, his closest friends who have betrayed him, in the face of, of false witnesses and unjust accusations, in the face of bloodthirsty crowds crying out to crucify him while they let a, a murderer free. He endures because of his love in his compassion. And so we have a really large section of Scripture. Uh, when, when, I was, uh, when we were laying this out, it's like, all right, first week's going to be the, the, the Last Supper. It's a nice little chunk. And then there's the cross. There's a little chunk and the resurrection. And those are big topics. And then for week two, it's like, hey, here's two chapters, Mark. Well, go, go for it. All right, and I'm like, all right, that's a lot. But uh, as I was reading through it, I, I think that there is a, a theme that we can see running through this whole section. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where um, Bill left off last week, and we're just going to do a quick overview of this uh, chapter and a half, starting in Matthew 26, uh, verse 31. Here we go. So... Uh, they finished the supper and they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus there on the Mount of Olives predicts that Peter is going to deny him uh, three times before the rooster crows. And Peter, of course, is like, well, that's very unlikely, Jesus. 
That's crazy. I will never do that. And so he's like, okay. And they move towards uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they come into the garden, Jesus asks his disciples to, to, to pray with him. And then uh, he leaves some of them there, takes uh, a few other ones, goes a little bit further into the garden and says, uh, pray with me. And he cries out in anguish, right? He cries out and saying, God, if there is a way that this cup could be taken from me, can you please do that? That's not what it says. That's a paraphrase. But he says, not my will, Lord, but your be done. Right? And he comes back and the disciples are asleep. And he's like, well, can't you just stay awake and pray for a little while? And he prays again and he comes back and the disciples are asleep. And the disciples sleep in, until morning. And he says, well, the time has arrived. And he gets up and Judas and, and a crowd or a, a mob with clubs and swords comes to him. And Jesus says to Judas, do what you have come to do, friend. That friend kills me. Do what you came for, friend, it says in the NIV. And Judas kisses him, and they arrest him. He's drug out of, we're going to come back to this in a little bit, he's drug out of the, the garden and taken before the Sanhedrin, which is the, the ruling uh, Jewish leaders, the Jewish council. Uh, this is a, an illegal uh, hearing uh, based on, on Jewish law. Uh, and they bring, bring forward false witnesses, and they try to accuse them, and people lie about them. Uh, and eventually, uh, he, they said, uh, Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Right? And then in 67, they spit on his face and they strike him with their fists. They slap him, mocking him, saying, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you. And he's taken before Pilate. And the crowds who just uh, a few days before were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They have, they've turned on him, and they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate is, does, can't see anything wrong with him, but he doesn't want to upset the, the people, so he just washes his hands of it. Just washes his hands of it, and he releases Barabbas, the murderer, free, and sends Jesus to be crucified. And so the soldiers take him, and they flog him, and they beat him. And yet, through it all, Jesus endures. So let's go back to 26, verse 52. That's the overview of our section. Uh, starting in verse 50, Jesus says to Judas, Do what you came for, friend. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? See, what struck me as I was reading this section 
is that over and over again, the people closest to Jesus turn their back on him and they walk away from him. Right? His, his, Judas, one of his closest traveling companions, betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. They drag him off and they beat him and they mock him. Ironically, calling him, you know, prophesy for us, Messiah, when all the time he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and yet he endures it. But what he says here, all this terrible stuff is happening around him, everybody is turning their backs on him, and he says this, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal twelve legions of angels? I am sorry. Uh, Whew! Jesus could have stopped this at any moment. He didn't have to do any of it. And not a single one of us deserves it. But it is purely God's grace and His love and His desire that all men are saved that kept Him walking the path that God the Father had put before Him. It was this love and this compassion that caused him to stay the course, to endure the wrath of God. And Paul calls, uh, calls Jesus the propitiation for sin. And that big fancy Bible word means it's a, it's a sacrifice that appeases God's wrath by satisfying his justice. To propitiate in Scripture is to placate and to appease the wrath of God on behalf of a guilty sinner who deserves to be punished. And in the terms of the Gospel, it is to turn such wrath into divine favor. And so Jesus endures the wrath of God against sin. The sinless one, the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, Took, took on all, uh, took on the, the punishment for all of the, the sin that humanity had done and ever will do. And he endured it willingly. And a theologian by the name of Bruce Demarest in his book, The Cross and Salvation, said, On the cross, Christ took our place and bore the equivalent punishment for our sins, thereby satisfying the just demands of the law and appeasing God's wrath. Sin must be dealt with. For God to be just, there has to be a payment for sin. And each one of us deserves to pay that penalty, but because we are so messed up, there's no way that we can do it. And so Jesus, in his perfection, in his sinlessness, was able to take on the wrath of God. But it was far from easy. He endured the pain. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. That He's not like, oh, whatever, we'll get this cross over with. He is, he is he's scared. He's nervous. He doesn't know, he's like, I am not looking forward to this. I'm going to be, because he was human. Right? He could feel the pain. He had to endure the shame. And on top of that, he had to bear the weight of the wrath of God on top of him. And yet, he did it for you and for me. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely 
will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were God's enemies. And Jesus died in my place when I was his enemy, shaking my fist at him. I just want to read this uh, short story that illustrates this, at least in part. During the war between Britain and France, men were conscripted into the French army by a kind of lottery system. When someone's name was drawn, he had to go off to battle. There was one exception to this, however. A person could be exempt if another was willing to take his place. On one occasion, the authorities came to a certain man and told him he was among those who had been chosen. He refused to go, saying, I was shot two years ago. At first, they questioned his sanity, but he insisted that this indeed was the case. He claimed that the military records would show that he had been conscripted two years previously and that he had been killed in action. How can that be, they questioned. You are alive now. And he explained that when his name came up, a close friend said to him, You have a large family, but I am not married and nobody is dependent upon me. I'll take your name and address and go in your place. And that is indeed what the record showed. This rather unusual case was referred to Napoleon Bonaparte, who decided that the country had no legal claim on that man. He was free. He had died. <laughs> he had died in the person of another. Oh, that's so good. That's why I do funny sermons. Not <laughs> uh, So good. He had died in the person of another. And this principle of substitution is the heart of the gospel. Right? The, the Savior, Jesus Christ, willingly took our place, not because he had to, not because he had any less to lose than we did, but because of his infinite love. He died and he paid the penalty for our sin. And so today, what I want to do is ask the question, where do we find ourselves in this narrative? From the garden to the governor. You know, it's really easy for us with, with 2020 vision hindsight, right, to, to shake our heads at Judas and Peter and the rest of the disciples, the soldiers, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the crowds that demanded Jesus' crucifixion. It seems so obvious that Jesus is the Messiah and their actions are selfish and short-sighted. Right? How could they do that? Why not just endure a little bit when Jesus needed them most? They turned their back on. But the Word of God, the Bible, tells us that each one of us, we're all the enemies of God. That each one of us would have been and have been like the, the disciples and Peter and Judas and the crowds and the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. We were enemies. 
And if you look up enemy in the dictionary, which I did, it is a person who actively opposed or is actively hostile to someone or something. Right? It's not that we were innocent and we didn't know better. The Bible tells us that we were God's enemies actively opposing him. So in the, the story of our lives, right? in this, our story with God, we are not the, the poor, innocent victim in all this. Right? We are Voldemort. We are Sauron. Right? We are the Joker. Right? We are that terrible hunter at the beginning of Bambi. No offense, hunters. Right? We are the wicked witch of the West. Right? We are Darth Vader. You know, or you could go on and on and on. We are not you know, naive, clueless people. We are the very enemies of God. And yet it is these enemies that Jesus went to the cross to save. In Romans 5.10, it says, uh, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. In Colossians 1.21, it says, once you were alienated and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. In Ephesians 2, it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, when you willingly followed the ways of this world. You see, we were God's enemies. And I'm not trying to be a downer, but trying to reveal the the glory of God's love and his compassion. That he saved us not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And the author of Hebrews says that he endured the pain and the shame of the cross for the joy of that was set before him. And that joy is the, uh, the um, what's the, the right word? Uh, the restoration of, the, of all of creation to its rightful place. The, the, the joy of Jesus is our eternal life. And as we, as we talk about this section of Scripture, as we talk uh, about this, this sermon, you know, we could easily land with the, the importance of self-sacrifice, the importance of ourselves laying down our own lives and serving others, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And that is so true, and that is so good, because Jesus is the perfect model, and we are called to take up our cross and follow Him. But I think today as we are moving towards the cross, as we're moving towards Easter, I want to take some time today as our response is to remember and to remind ourselves who Jesus is, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who became a man who humbled himself to take on death to save us. Hey, Shelton, could you play a little something? And so as a response this morning, what I want to do is take a moment of quietness and just close our eyes and allow this reality to sink in, that Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself, became a man, to die on a cross, to take the penalty for you and for me and for all of humanity. 
right? And that by, by believing in Him, we have access to, uh, to new life in Christ. And when we look at the, the glory uh, of God, the goodness of Jesus, and we need to remember that when He went to the cross, when He endured what He endured, we are responsible for. We are culpable for this, for his death on the cross. And so, while Shelton plays, let's just close our eyes. Thank Jesus for his endurance in the face of enemies shaking his fist at them. Jesus. Now I'd like to invite you to stand and read this with me. We're just going to pray a a prayer of repentance corporately, and this is taken from Psalm 51 as a response this morning. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen. Father God, we thank You for Your forgiveness. We thank You that if we confess our sins, You are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, thank You for the cross. Thank You for taking the wrath that each one of us deserved. Thank You for restoring us to right relationship with God and giving us the hope of eternal life. In Your name we pray. Amen.